Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Growing Woman podcast. I'm your host, Christina Singh, and I am so thrilled to be back with another wonderful guest, another week, another growing woman. Cannot wait to talk to you about this beautiful person that we have on the show today. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit about her and her bio before we get started. But before we start, I just want to thank you all for your comments, your listens, spreading the word about the show. We've had a few guests now who have come on and really spread the word about what we're doing and trying to you know, bring value to women's lives through sharing our stories, opening up about vulnerabilities, and how we're growing together. So thank you so much for all of your support of this show. It means the world to me um, as we're embarking on this journey together. So our guest today is Daylene Mazik. Uh, she's a freelance makeup artist based in New York City, working in the television, commercial, and editorial space. Prior to working as an artist, Daylene worked in finance for over 13 years in Philadelphia. Daylene enjoys reading, checking out new restaurants, and my favorite, complaining about alternate street parking. Amen. <laughs> welcome, Daylene, to the yes. show. <laughs> welcome, Thank welcome. You. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Hey. I'm so thrilled to have you. Thanks um, for having me. Of course. So I met you through a mutual contact and we had a great conversation and I almost wish we had been recording then because it was so wonderful to get to know, know. about you and I'm so excited for our listeners to get to know you a bit more. Um, so can you talk to yeah. me about where you're from and where you grew up? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally I'm Brooklyn born. Um, I grew up military though. So I moved around a little bit. My family moved back to New York. Um, I grew up in Staten Island for Wadsworth um, and kind of Brooklyn, like on the weekends and holidays and things like that. And um, when I became middle school age, um, we moved out to Seattle and then I went back to Brooklyn for the summers. So still kept close ties. Um, it's very different coming back now. I moved to um, Delaware as an adult for um, college. So nice. Very different coming back to New York now. It's so it's so different, but I love What it. do you mean by that? <laughs> everything's changed. The neighborhoods have changed. Some things are just gone. Some things are new. Everything's like there's so many nice restaurants. There's so yeah. many change even the like MTA service. There's like I remember this line used to stop here and this used to be this. So Yeah. It's cool. I mean, yeah. I live in Brooklyn as well and even just living here for nearly 6 years and that's not even very long, but compared to like New York standards of people who are like, I'm a real New Yorker. I've been here for 25 years, but yeah. even I can see so many changes in New York city. It's wild. Um, oh, yeah. just every month, every year I live here. Yeah. Um, I live in Brooklyn too. And my parents that, you know, they're from Brooklyn and they're just like blown away sometimes when I'm telling them stuff. And they're asking me, is that still there? Is that still there? And it's, it's just so different now. Totally. Yeah. So you're, you're Brooklyn born and you moved around. Um, and what I love about your story is that you were in finance for quite some yeah. time. So can you talk about how you got into finance? Yeah. So I went to school first in Atlanta. Um, couldn't find a job. This is like 2003 when people were like just starting to get into Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and I ended up getting a job for like a cell phone company or something like that. Um, I'm there for a while. I come back to Delaware. My parents had just bought a house in Delaware and I was like, okay, I'm going to just chill for a little bit, maybe get in-state tuition, trying to figure out my life. Um, and then I start going to school, but the cell phone business does not work with my schedule. So I was like, oh, I'll get a bank job 
and I could probably work like nine to five and then go to school. It's not really how it worked out because now all these banks have extended hours, but I just started working for a bank and I just did both at the same time. And from working at the bank, I just got more opportunities and I got hand selected to uh, interview um, when I was graduating for like a major corporation and I just kind of stuck with it. So when you're saying you got more interviews and you got more opportunities, how did those come to be? And what kind of relationships were you building during that role? So I stuck with it. Um, I think I, I made a huge emphasis on client service and things like that. Cause I really like working with people. Um, so speaking with other people, whenever, whenever a new bank would open in Delaware, I'd kind of try to check it out. Um, I stayed with a lot of the same, um, contacts, people in school that I worked with, um, uh, that I went to school with and also my like advisors and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, they were always, all, always in contact with a lot of um, banks and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting these new opportunities. What happens next after this job and you're going to school and you have a lot of responsibilities, obviously it seemed like you needed to support yourself during this time. Yeah. Yeah. So like many people, I had to like pay for books and then I ended up getting my own apartment. So I, I always had to like work at the same time as well as go to school. Um, and I also felt like I wasn't a traditional student because I had already gone to school in Atlanta for a little bit. So then, you know, you think you're just grown and like, all right, I have to have a car. I got to do this. Um, and so when, once I got the position after college, um, I kind of just stuck with it. But somebody asked me, they said, Hey, what else do you do? And I was like, what do you mean? What else do I do? Like, this is what I do. Um, and they were like, no, you should never have just one stream of income. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, what are you good at? And I was like, I'm not good at anything. Like, you know, the typical answer, and like everybody's good at something. Um, and I thought about it for some days and I came back one day and I was like, I think I'm good at doing makeup. And he's like, great, stick with it and work it out and work through it. So from that point on, this is now 2010, I was doing makeup on the side. I was learning and going mm-hmm. to my finance job during the day. So how long were you in finance before you started, before you had that moment of that person asking you that question? Uh, I think it had been about five years. Wow. Um, so yeah. during that five year span of time, what were you learning in your roles? How were they impacting you? So in the beginning, my roles are mainly in the retail banking space. So working in retail banking, it's very fast paced. It's very busy. You're working with um, all types of clients, businesses, local businesses, people that are coming in. Um, you're working with people who are um, starting their businesses, building their businesses, everyday people who are getting mortgages, um, people are that just cash and checks. It's very high paced. And the branch that I worked at in college was the only one in, in two counties. And it was the only one in our whole entire county, let alone the other counties. So it was very busy, lines out the door. Um, I was a customer service rep for them. And I was just learning everything you can think of from like insurance to um, mortgages to anything you can think of, everything. Yeah. So when you were then approached about this, you know, second stream of revenue and, and this different thing, how did you land on makeup? How did that come about? Yeah. So at that point I was working um, at the larger company and I was working in like asset management, like things had really taken off. I was working in asset management, private bank. And, um, I was just like, you know what? I like doing makeup. I was always that girl who always had her makeup done and, this is before Instagram was big, before everybody was doing makeup. So I was always that friend that helped everybody get ready, um, that people came to for advice or something like that, because I always wore makeup and it wasn't as popular as it is now. 
Um, and I was like, okay, I think I'm kind of good at this. Like people have asked me questions about it. Like maybe I can explore this a little bit and see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, it is such a huge industry and it's, it's really taken over. And I definitely want to talk about that later. Um, but for this time when you're working in finance and you have this interest in makeup, what steps did you start to take? I know you mentioned you started to do your friend's makeup. What little moments and like little steps were you taking to start to build your experience? So back then I ordered like a bunch of books all the time. So I was ordering books from major artists like Bobby Brown and um, Kevin Aquan, people like that who were pros in the industry. Um, I started ordering their books and I would study them after work. Um, I started going to classes. I would just look on Eventbrite and find classes and I would like research the person that was having the class. Um, I would go to makeup conferences in New York. I would drive up on the weekends. Um, and then I started to um, just consume anything. Like I would go through magazines. I would look to see who the team was. I would study the makeup on the pictures. So yeah, that's how, that's how wow. you started. <laughs> so yeah. during this time, you're working full-time. You have yep. a full-time job in finance um, yeah. and you've grown, it sounds like, in that full-time job. So you had you know, really expanded your career and grown. Um, did you feel this itch? Like once this person came to you and said, you, have, you should have a second stream of revenue. Like, what are you good at? When did you start to feel that itch that this was going to become something more than just you learning and you starting to absorb this information? Yeah. So working at this big company, um, and I'm trying to see exactly how to say this. Um, it's, there are a lot of politics and there was a lot going on that I mm. didn't really enjoy about the role. Um, a lot of things that I got to see working with, um, people that were above me that were, weren't so nice. Um, and it kind of like deterred me a little bit where I was like, Hey, I don't know if I want to do this forever. Like, I don't know how people can go to work and just be mean to somebody or treat them bad. And it kind of deterred me and kind of like killed my spirit a little bit as far as like working in the finance space. Cause it just seemed like everywhere you looked, there was a little bit of this going on on all these different teams. Um, everybody had like a story. Everybody had like a dreary kind of moment on their teams. And I was like, I don't know about this. So it wasn't um, that like positive like, environment. It wasn't were. a positive environment. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this forever. Yeah. So what was the moment that kind of gave you, we've talked about this before on the show um, with Nina and Trisha, um, that little like tap, tap, tap moment when you have something that really calls you to make that move. I know you're talking about how yeah. you had all of this time and to absorb all this information. You really dedicated that time to buy books, go to conferences. I think that's such good advice for somebody who isn't really sure if they have that thing that's that interest. And what you're saying is really surround yourself with it to really learn and see if that's what you love. Um, did you have a moment that was that tap, tap, tap moment where you were like, okay, I gotta, I, I need to transition out of this? Yeah. So it came a little bit longer, further down the line. Um, I took a makeup class in DC. It was like an all day class, like 10 hours. And I'm around these artists and I was like, wow, this could really be a thing. So I was like, you know what? This was in December of, I believe it was 2016. I said, okay, I'm going to be fearless for 2017. I was like, that's going to be my word. I'm not mm. going to let anything hold me back. Cause sometimes we have, you know, that imposter syndrome and you think like, oh, I can't do this, or maybe I'm overstepping. Um, and then 
I saw something posted on Instagram like a month or two later. Somebody was looking for an assistant. She was leaving Fashion Week and I was like, I'm just going to email her because I want to be fearless. And I had been working on my portfolios. I thought I had a little something put together and I just sent her an email and she responded like, hey, let's meet up. Uh, let's talk on Friday. And we spoke and I, I came to New York. I worked with her on an event and I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Like, I'm going to do this. And I told her that day, I was like, I think I'm going to move to New York sooner than I thought. Um, oh, wow. So I, you were just like super motivated right then and there. I had just bought a car. Like I had just bought a brand new car. I had no intentions of moving for a while, but I was like, I saw the T tags on. I was like, I'm moving to New York. And I had just renewed my lease. I sent them a letter and was like, hey, getting out of my lease. Here's my 60 day notice. I wrote down my quit date that the next Monday I got to work. Like it was happening. So this was like out of nowhere for you, really. Like this experience with this one person really was that moment where you said, okay, I'm making this happen. What about that mantra that, that you just said, I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to have fearlessness. I'm not going to have fear. Like, obviously there's still fear there, but you're pushing through it with that mantra. What about that really made that happen for you? I think I felt more confident, especially after taking the class and after speaking to people, I was like, okay, this is, this is something where if you want it, you have to go after it and you can't be scared. You can't be afraid. So I think in just repeating that to myself, I got to be fearless. I got to be fearless. I got to be fearless. It almost gave me that confidence to kind of give myself a push whenever something did come up. So I started to reach out to other photographers and I started to reach out to other makeup artists because now I'm being fearless and I'm kind of pushing myself. So I think that confidence was a big factor. What happened in that first moment? You got that email back. What an amazing feeling. You go and start and you worked with this person. What was that like? It was insane. It was, I was actually on the phone with one of my girlfriends and I was like, I should have wrote this. I should have did that. I'm already down talking it. And then I get the email while I'm on the phone and I was like, hold on girl. So I think I, I go to New York, I'm working on this job and it's just high intense. It, like it's intense. It's just fast paced. And that's all the things that I like, but I'm meeting all of these people. Um, every, and I realize how much everybody needs makeup. Like everybody's got an event. Everybody's got a photo shoot. Everybody's got something that they need to be prepared for. So I realized how widespread it is. Um, and I just really enjoyed being around so many people and kind of getting into different spaces that you're not really going to be around or in, allowed into when you're not in the makeup space or in the beauty space. I think this is such a great lesson because what you did is you had this mantra, you really sat with yourself and you decided, okay, this is what I want. So this is how I'm going to mentally get through this space. Then you took action and you sent an email and it was terrifying, but it felt so good. And so you did it. You're already on the phone with your friends. Oh my God, I should have said the right, like this, this, this. And then you got a response. Yeah. Obviously that's not going to happen all the time, but you know, when things fall into place and you're feeling that energy, you're putting out that energy, it worked and responded right back to you. So then in your action, you got to have that like affirmation that this is exactly where I want to be. This is so great. This is really exciting. And that led to this huge action of I'm moving to New York. <laughs> this is happening. I want to know yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> what were people, how did people react when you did this? Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> my friends were like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Cause I was, I was in the process also of buying a home. So I had already been going out with a realtor and I was like, you know what? I don't want to be like 85 in a nursing home. Like I should have done this. I should have tried. I should have tried to push for this. So I really sat down and I, I called my parents and I was like, Hey, I'm going to move back to New York and I'm going to be a makeup artist. And they were like, uh, Oh, okay. Cause it's like, <laughs> I can't tell some black parents, like, I'm going to give up my career in finance and just go freelance and see how checks come to me. And my family was like, uh, okay, sure. I think people didn't really know how to take it, but mm-hmm. they wanted to seem like supportive. They wanted to support, but it was very fresh for everybody. So when you're getting some these my, reactions, some of my friends, I, I'm sure they thought I was nuts. <laughs> As somebody who has made a very drastic move cross country, I I definitely understand. I ha- I myself yeah. made a very, you know, drastic decision to go where I wanted to go, and um, it is you yeah. know that moment of fearlessness, and you have to be certain and just make it happen. And so I I understand and I admire that greatly because you're taking action and following what you want to do. So, how long did it take you to move to New York? Like, what was that timeline? So the first event that I did that I was able to work, I think was like early March. I was in New York by May. The first week of May. Yeah. So what happened when you got to New York and you started doing this work? What were, what happened? So I show, yeah, so I show up and, um, you know, I tell her, I'm like, Hey, I'm, and we're still in contact. So I'm still working on events with her. I'm still coming up on the weekends, um, staying for the weekend and doing shoots and things like that and still assisting. Um, and I was like, Hey, I'm here. And then she's like, great. And starts having me in all these different jobs. Wow. So you obviously, she trusted you. Yeah. Yeah. So it it just like immediately like just took off and it was like TV sets and shoots and magazines. It was just back to back for the entire summer. It was pretty busy. So I just want to kind of like get a lay of the land really quickly. So you email this woman, you go to New York, you do a gig with her. Um, right. Then you say you're moving to New York, you reach out to her and say, because you had, from what you're saying, you had been doing other gigs for her before you. I'd been assisting her for a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then now that you're full-time in New York, it just was like that. Yeah. So essentially when you start off in this industry, like in, in the beauty space, most times you're going to start off as an assistant. You're going to start off assisting different artists, kind of like learning how production works, learning how um, the space is. So you start off assisting. And once you get with somebody who really likes you, they kind of keep you on a lot. Sometimes you can move up to first assistant, things like that, which I did. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was just assisting and just kind of like learning these different jobs and getting on these jobs. And then eventually mm-hmm. that led to me being a key for my own jobs as well. So what was that timeline transition? How did that, how did that look for those who are wanting so- to get into this? Yeah. So when you're assisting, um, generally you're assisting for some people are assisting for like a year to two years. Um, I have a cousin that works in the industry and she's like, listen, you're going to be assisting for like two years. And then after that, you're going to take off. And I'm like, what? what are you talking about? And this is before I even got into it. And then now seeing it, I was like, oh, this is really how it works. So mm-hmm. you start off assisting. Um, and it's, it's great because it's not necessarily your job to mess up. So when you're there, you just try to be the best assistant you can on, on set. But if something goes wrong, that falls on your key. So you're not really responsible if like 
you know, somebody spills something on your workstation or whatever happens, which is the good part about being an assistant is you're kind of just soaking in the knowledge. You're kind of getting these free classes because you're watching them do makeup the entire time. You're learning more client service stuff because you're learning how they interact with um, talent and different people and stuff like that. Um, actors and actresses. And um, it, it's just a great way to kind of like apprentice. Mm-hmm. So. When you say key, what does that mean? Key, that is the, the, the makeup artist that's on set. So let's say I book something and I am the makeup artist for, I don't know, um, Target or something like that. Then I would be the key artist on that shoot. I would have assistance with me, but I would be the key. Okay. Yeah. So during this time, what were you learning? What things were you absorbing? Everything. I was learning everything about, um, uh, application, how it looks on different, different skin tones, how it looks on camera, um, what you need to do when there's, when it's television, what products you should use for that, what you should be packing for outdoor shoots, editorial, how different that is, um, everything you can think of, just different types of, you're, you're working with everybody. So you always have to be prepared and what to pack and everything. What did your income look like at this time? Was it a decrease in income? Did you take a big hit? Um, or were you working your way back up? Like what, what does that look like in the makeup world? Yeah. So it, it definitely was very different. I did take a huge pay cut because now you're hustling and you're working to, um, you're working for each job. So when you're freelance, like you're just trying to book these jobs so that you can get paid and it takes a while to get paid. Sometimes it takes like 30 days. Sometimes it takes 90, sometimes it could take even longer. Um, also as an assistant, um, the pay is, is it could be kind of low. So it's like, you're not making as much as you would if you're the key, obviously. Um, so you have to be mindful of that too. Um, are there, were there any moments during this assistant, like apprentice time that you had to advocate for yourself in various ways, like with pay or not too much, not too much. And I, I I feel like maybe I should have though. I think I should have pushed to get paid on time a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I'd like, Oh, I know they're going to pay me. So it's fine. Cause I was working, you know, with the same people for so long. I was like, Oh, I'm going to get paid, but I should have been like, Hey, this is day 29. What's happening tomorrow? Um, so I think that that's the major way that I could have advocated for myself and also like boosting my rates a lot sooner. I think Interesting. So you have individual rates as an assistant and then as a key, correct? You can. Mm-hmm. You can. Um, Sometimes you can negotiate your assistant rates. And then I'm always very curious, what does the scheduling look like? Because I'm sure, you know, we see people on the morning news, we see people, you know, doing various specials or late at night. So what was your schedule like during this time? Oh my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) my schedule was very crazy. Um, I also at the same time, so just to appease my family, when I first moved, I also picked up a job uh, working at Sephora at the same time. So I was working Sephora and Times Square. So I was working till like two o'clock in the morning, getting off at three. And sometimes I would be on set by like seven, eight in the morning. So depending on the type of job, sometimes you'd be there at eight. Sometimes I've had somewhere I had to be there at two in the afternoon and we'd be there till midnight five o'clock in the morning set wow. times. It really does vary on what the talent needs, what the producer needs, director. So, yeah. And where did that motivation come from? 
That's a really good question. Um, I think just wanting to learn more and just being so hungry and eager to just kind of see everything and work on everything and just meet so many people and just kind of wanting to absorb everything. Cause you don't want to say you're going to take this big leap and then fail or like give up and be like, Oh, you know what? This did not work out. I'm going to go get me a bank job somewhere. And it'll be like, this never happened. The other part of that motivation is so many people were watching. So then now I start getting all these messages from people who have worked with me previously. Um, people who have worked with me, um, when I had like a counter job at night, people were just like rooting for me and messaging me like, Hey, I see you. Hey, I saw you mm -hmm. in the background. So-and-so's live. And I was just like, okay, I got to keep going. Cause I can't just give up. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think it's really important to understand what your why is. And it seems like you had a very clear why. Um, yeah. When you're working is the makeup industry predominantly um, dominated by women? I know there are tons of men in makeup. You mentioned Kevin Aquan, yeah. and I know that there are so many others, um, other um, male makeup artists. But have you primarily worked with women, and how has how have these women been allies to you? I have primarily worked with women, honestly, um, which has been great. Like there are usually men there sometimes, like working on hair or. Um, on um, styling and things like that, but I've primarily worked with women and they've been great. So they've referred me to other jobs. Um, they kind of understand like if you're not having an off day because you're not feeling well because you have cramps or something like that. Um, nutrition's usually pretty important to them as well too. So like, hey, you gotta come early so you can eat or I, you know, here's some time for you to get a plate. They're really big in self-care and things like that. Like, hey, what are you doing for yourself? And just kind of asking you questions to make sure that you're okay and that you're whole which I think is great. I don't, I don't know if men do that, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, from the, from your experience, it sounds like you had a lot of female allyship, which is another thing that we talk about on the show. So when you're working with these women and they're saying, Oh, come in early and make sure you get a plate or do this and do this. Have you, now that you're in a position where you are working more as a key, um, just to get my makeup lingo in there, um, the new makeup lingo that I know now, um, <laughs> have you, um, have you had assistance or people assisting you on projects and have you felt that it's important to teach them as well? So I'm actually in the stages of looking for an assistant and now I know how the keys I worked with felt before who were like, Hey, are you really going to be here? Cause you really have to like put your trust in somebody that you might not have worked with before and start to develop that relationship. So I've been talking to a couple of people right before shutdown. I was like, Hey, I might have you on and I might just kind of like have them on like, you know, like a simple shoot or something like that, that I'm just doing for fun, just to kind of see how they are with set etiquette before I bring them on something bigger. Um, but yeah, I was just starting to look for assistance when this mm -hmm. whole COVID thing happened. Yeah, the, definitely having a pandemic when you're a makeup artist is pretty challenging. Yeah. I personally yeah. adore the makeup industry and um, love learning about artistry. One thing I want to talk to you about is how huge makeup is on YouTube. Um, it's such a huge industry there. The beauty influencer in general is just such a huge, um, uh, business and a huge artistry. Um, what are some differences that you see when you're working on somebody for television or movies, um, or for, you know, runway that you're seeing versus a lot of the, um, influencers that are out there. I think they're doing great, but I, I know that there are differences and I'd love to hear from you about them. 
Yes, <laughs> there are a lot of differences. Um, one being that a lot of influencers use a lot of makeup. Like usually on set, you're not using that much. Like when you see them hold their hand out and they're just squirting all that foundation, we're not using that much usually. Um, also the technique is a little bit different. So sometimes I notice like the brows are like really strong and really defined and it's more like a natural brow kind of world now. Um, some of the products that, that they use too, like a lot of artists on set are mostly using pro products. So from different brands that you're not going to see on Instagram or like on YouTube, um, just because of like the way that they're manufactured, the pigments in them, um, just certain things are just going to be a little bit different than those popular, like, um, influencer brands. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the influencers, um, it's almost like they use a lot of different products because I know that's what their audience wants. They want to see like how this looks with different things and different lighting. Um, so it, I think it's like less product driven. Um, yeah. In the pro world. In the pro world. So when you're talking about pro brands um, and like pro makeup, where are you buying that? So generally um, you're buying from places like Alcone um, or even if you are shopping with, Smashbox or somebody, you, you have a pro discount. So sometimes they do have like a separate login for you. Um, there's some, some of them have like pro lines too. Like I want to say who has like a pro line, like Mac for a long time had like a pro line that um, only certain things were available to the pros. And I think it's mm -hmm. still like that um, where there's going to be things that we're going to use that you guys are probably not going to use when you're doing like, um, you know, like everyday makeup and stuff like that. Do you ever feel this pressure to be an influencer to like have that beauty influencer aspect about you um now that you're in this world yes and no i've had a lot of people ask me like why don't you just do a video why don't you do this and i'm like uh i feel like there's enough videos out there so what would make me different um so not not as much like i see people do it and i'm like i don't know if that's my lane but yeah, yeah. not yet yeah um and then what is like, I, I, cause I am just so curious about this in the makeup industry, yeah. when people are talking about influencers, like, is there talk about influencers when you're talking to other makeup artists or like not in a negative way, but like just this understanding that there is like a disconnect in some ways between makeup artists doing makeup for various things. And then this influencer world. Um, it, it depends on who you're speaking with. Um, some, <laughs> um, I, I think it just really depends on who the influencer is and kind of what they're projecting. Um, some of the influencers have done a really good job with like understanding like the pro space and kind of being respectful of, um, the, the pro artistry aspect of it. So I think people do really appreciate when people are like, Hey, like this is the way it's done, but I'm doing it this way for your viewing pleasure, or mm -hmm. I'm going to try it a different way because I know I've been watching these pro artists. So let me bring this to my audience. And I think people, mm -hmm. I think pros really appreciate when there's that, like that respect for um, the artistry side of it. Yeah. So going back to your um, work as an assistant and now as a key, what did that transition look like for you? Wow. So the transition is still happening because sometimes, you know, I still get calls to do assisting and I'm like, sure, because it's, you know, a nice job or something like that or it's something else I still want to see. Um, it just started happening from building those relationships. This is definitely a relationship based business. So when you're working with some of these artists, sometimes they can't take a job. 
sometimes, you know, you meet talent on set and they, they ask for you and you, you know, of course you check with your key and your key's like, yeah, like, I think you'd be great. Maybe you should work with them. I'll talk to them or something like that. So it just comes from building those relationships and working around um, other artists usually. Um, and then also like getting your own jobs. So being fearless again and reaching out and emailing and cold calling and everything that you would normally do for your job down at the bank when you're trying to get people to get a mortgage or a checking account, you're going to be doing that for yourself and you're going to be advocating and marketing yourself too. Mm -hmm. What lessons have you brought from your finance world into the makeup world? Oh, so I've brought, uh, working with all kinds of people. <laughs> so <laughs> being able to work with everybody, like I said, like in that space where I, I, I didn't feel like everything was great, uh, working in corporate where I felt like some people were kind of mean and things like that. Now I can work with anybody. Like that stuff does not bother me at all. I'm like, Oh, maybe they're having a bad day. Okay. I'll go over here and get a muffin. Um, <laughs> and then also, be, also being able to, like I said, like cold call and like just reach out to people and like advocate for yourself and just even, uh, present yourself in a way that you would have I would have presented the bank when I was reaching out, trying to get more business. Um, also keeping myself organized and um, all the business owners that I worked with when I was working in the retail space, um, seeing how they did like uh, interactions with their CPAs, how they took care of their business accounts. That's been really, really helpful when I'm managing my own um, financial side of my business. Can you give us specific examples? Yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of times people would come in with issues with like uploading things from QuickBooks or like payroll and things like that. So I was able to implement that pretty early on before I even came and became a freelance makeup artist full time. So I was actually writing off expenses and making sure I was doing schedule C's like a couple years ago before I got into the space because I knew I was building my kit and I was spending so much money um, buying makeup and going to classes and traveling. So I made sure that was something that I took a knowledge of and then I made sure that I was like making sure I was utilizing it and making sure I was practicing it. So when you were starting and you were going to these classes and you were taking, yeah. you know, buying stuff for your kit, like you're saying, and for those people who don't know what a kit is, can you quickly explain what that is? Yeah. So your kit is, your kit is your everything. Your kit is what you work out of. So your kit is going to have your makeup, your skincare, your brushes. That is your kit. So, um, Sometimes you have multiple kits. So you might have a kit just for male grooming. You might have one just for TV. You might have one um, for editorial. Um, so your kit is going to be what you work out of. Great. Thank you. So perfect. So when you're purchasing these things, going to classes, doing all of this, um, and you're writing off these expenses, did you already have an LLC formed? Like, did you already have, like, what business um foundations, the groundwork did you have to make sure you were protecting yourself financially in that way? Yeah. So I, I had already had an LLC for a couple of years. Um, I just went online for the state I was in and I followed the prompts and did the paperwork and filled it out. Um, got my EIN number. Um, and before, even before that, I think I was just making sure I kept track of my expenses and I just, um, and put them into an accounting um, app just to make sure I like kept track of everything separately. Um, but yeah, that for a while I've had an LLC and I just use that um, for everything, everything makeup related. So would you recommend that people do that if they're in your 
in your space where they're thinking about starting something and kind of know that they want to go into this and they're going to start to dive into purchasing products or going to conferences or going to classes? Was that something you'd recommend? Absolutely. Actually, <laughs> absolutely recommend it. Um, that's actually what I'm working on um, for my project is to make sure that people are, they know how to set this, this up, how they know how to keep it going. Um, so yeah, absolutely recommend doing that because you spend a lot of money when you're traveling, mm -hmm. when you're buying stuff. Um, and it's, it's really an expense. Um, so you should be able to reap those benefits of having a business so that it's not so much just on you and your, your personal income. Did you open a separate, uh, bank account as well when you were starting out your business? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I opened a separate account and luckily at the time it was free. So I didn't have to have like a minimum or anything like that. But yeah, I use a separate account for everything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is business expense. Let me grab that debit card. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think this is really great because I think most people might not know these like fundamental first steps. And can you elaborate more on this, the project that you mentioned that you're, you're working on right now? Yeah, sure. So I initially, obviously going on all these different sets, I'm talking to people and I, for some reason, I start talking about, you know, people ask you what you've done. Um, where do you come from? And I start talking about finance. And the next thing you know, they're asking me questions about expenses. I'm talking about expenses. Um, I'm talking about business accounts and entities and things like that. And um, a lot of people are just creative and they don't think about maybe the business side of it. Cause they're just like, Hey, I just got to paint. I got to create, this is what I got to do. Um, and I think there's a, a little void there that I, I, I can help cause I come from both world, worlds. So now I've been a freelancer for two years full time. And then it's, I come from finance too. So I'm more than happy to help. People have called me all the time asking me like how to input. Is this an expense? Is this? So I was like, you know, I'll come up with like a program so people can centrally like locate all the information. I can kind of lead that in like an academy type of space. Um, and they can just have that information for when they need it, but just to make sure everybody understands how to run their business and how to be able to look at everything and say, Hey, like, I know what my balance sheet looks like. I know what the yeah. health looks like. I know how to apply for things based on the income that I'm bringing in. So through these conversations, I mean, obviously you're noticing that people don't have the tools or don't have that knowledge to, to know what tools to utilize. Um, and it prompted you to create this new program. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is like, why do you think people don't have these tools or don't have this knowledge specifically when you're working with a lot of women? I feel like a lot of women in business or, or, you know, who are starting out, there isn't that like grounding, um, mm -hmm. direction for people. Why do you think that is? I think this is because it's not taught. Like it's not taught in schools. Like you're, you're pretty much just taught to go get a job for somebody else for the most part. So then when you do have to work on your own, you're like, wait a minute, do I get an LLC? Do I stay a sole proprietor? Like, or even if you know that much of it, I think it's just because it's not something that is spoken about as often, unless you start taking classes or you major in business or something like that. But I think yeah. a lot of people are just unaware um, of how accessible it is. Yeah. Um, so this is sounding like kind of just like new chapter for you, if I'm yeah correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some things that you're hoping to bring into this new chapter? I mean, all of this sounds like a very new chapter in general, like you making this move so brave and then you going and 
diving headfirst into the makeup space and then understanding that you have this unique skill of, oh, well, I finance and I'm starting this business and I want to teach other women, bring value to other people's lives in this way. Um, you know, what are some things that you're hoping to do with this? So I'm hoping to help people just understand their business and run their business like legitimately so that it benefits them and that they're not taking a loss. They're not overlooking anything that they're deserved. Um, and then I think with this whole COVID thing, I think it's brought a light to a lot of people like, Hey, I need to apply for this loan or I need to apply for this grant. I need to find out what my cost of goods sold is. I need to find like, there's so many um, accounting terms that have come up with applying for these programs and these grants and things like that, where some people weren't previously able to even fathom like, Hey, how do I even get to this? How do I even mm -hmm. find this information so that I'm able to apply for this? Um, so I think that's brought a focus onto getting people to really settle into their business and making sure that they understand everything. So that they're able to reap those benefits, especially during something like this. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of go back to the makeup industry and thank you for that. I think that's sure. such a beautiful intention yeah. and mission and, um, really, really important to have more people like you advocating for others. And um, I want to talk about being a woman of color in the makeup industry. And what yeah. are, you know, you mentioned that during your apprenticeship and during your times when you're an assistant, it's a great learning tool because you're getting to understand how makeup works on different skin tones. Um, and I think there are a lot of brands right now who have been coming under scrutiny for not including a wide variety of um, shades and shade ranges in their products. And then brands who are being applauded for coming out with a ton of shade ranges in their products and really thinking about everyone. What has your experience been like in the makeup industry as a woman of color? So it's, it's been pretty good because a lot of the people that I've worked with are also women of color. Um, I think just about every single one has been a woman of mm -hmm. color. So it's been, it's been good for me, but I've, I've heard some horror stories as far as like working for, um, some of these larger um, non non people of color um, that are larger in the industry, sometimes they they just show up on set and the assistants are doing all the work, but they're getting their name on all these big covers and all these big shows. And you never even really hear about those um, people of color assistants that are really actually pulling everything off. Um, so luckily I haven't run into that part of it, um, but that's a huge, huge conversation that's always had. Um, also, like as far as brands and stuff being more inclusive, that's that's been a little bit better. There's still some ways to go. So there's still times when we're on set and we're still mixing stuff and we're still trying to figure things out. Um, mm -hmm. I think another big part that's been big for me that I've noticed is as a woman of color, I'm expected to be able to do everybody's makeup. I'm expected to do everybody's makeup, all shades of brown, all shades of black, all shades of white, everybody. But it's not the same sometimes for non-women of color when they're a makeup artist. They don't even have to carry some of the, the same colors that I would have to carry. So my kit is usually larger because it's stocked for everybody. So a lot of those artists who are not being able to do everybody, they're still booking major jobs. They're still getting, like it's not like a hindrance for them as it would be for me. And that's the same on mm. the hair side too. Why do you think that is? I think it's just been like that for so long where you have people who have been on like, let's say like a TV show for, you know, 20 years or whatever. And, you know, maybe they didn't have a lot of black talent or people of color 
um, and they just didn't learn those skills. They didn't feel like it was necessary for them to purchase those shades of makeup and they just kind of got comfortable. Um, and then now that people are starting to speak up more and shake up the industry more, now it's more of a focus. But I think before they were like, well, we'll just bring in, you know, somebody that can do this person and that's it. Um, I think now it's yeah. more of a conversation. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing such a huge wave of uh, diversity yeah. in TV and film um, and on runway in various areas. I still think we have a very long way to go. Yeah. Um, what are you hoping to see in the industry around this subject moving forward? I'm hoping to see a lot more people of color um, and definitely women of color in um, some of the decision-making spaces. I think that's it's important to have creative directors and art directors and people like that that are um, of color so that they can understand what's necessary to run these sets um, and also to give that recognition to maybe those assistants that are doing all the work or maybe the hiring decisions to even not make that a situation. So I think that's really important is to have um, those people in the room. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked on this podcast before that management sets the tone. So if you have a manager that's in a space where they can advocate for you and advocate for people of color and having this space yeah. be this bridge, um, you know, this, this gap filled, that would be wonderful, like you're saying. Um, yeah. So when you're encountering these obviously this is a huge conversation in the space and it's something that, you know, where it comes around education uh, from what you're saying, people learning, you're saying your kit needs to be a lot bigger. You have a lot more requirements of you um, than you're seeing for your counterparts um, who are white. And where does that where did you get educated in makeup? Like where, how did that education come about? Um, and what do you think would be next steps for education for those who aren't working on, you know, various skin tones and aren't getting that wide view? So a lot of my education comes from, like I said, I was reading those different books, but I definitely varied it. And I was reading books from like Sam Fine. And then I would read, you know, um, Bobby Brown. And I would make sure I mixed it up a lot. And I was following um, prominent Black artists like Pat McGrath and Danessa Myricks and people like that who showcase that they're doing makeup on a wide variety of skin tones. Also in practicing makeup, a lot of my girlfriends are Black women. So I was yeah. like, that, that was like what I started with. So just understanding Black skin and tones and just how everything worked, it was just, that was just kind of how it worked for me. Um, and then with working with a particular photographer, he only um, would have like white models. So then I would have to like pivot and transition and then just do that because it was like, that's what I needed for my portfolio. I needed a photographer that was willing to bring me in on sets. Not necessarily mm -hmm. like the type of model, but I needed somebody to work with me to help me to develop this portfolio. Um, yeah. Especially when I was like trying to get started. So I think, and moving forward, um, for people to be working with everybody, I think it's, it's going to come down to practice. It's going to come down to that acceptance and accepting that like, there's going to be black talent. There's going to be people that you're going to have to do. And you can't just pass that off. You should really master that craft. Cause it's, it's all a part of your craft. Like, I don't think it's different. Like if I do a black woman's makeup or a white woman's makeup, it's I'm doing makeup. So I think that should be um, a unanimous thing for all artists. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like this, it's a natural thing in my mind to be talking about. And, you know, it's, it's a skill that I think if you're a makeup artist, you should want to be 
you know, having a want to be adopting, but it's so interesting to hear you say that there is this gap and that there is this, there is so much more room to grow in this particular area, um, which I think is really interesting and And really great. Yeah. And I've noticed that too. Like I said, like initially when I first came to New York, I was working at like a Sephora. So I would get talent coming in there. Like, Hey, I need to get my own foundation because the makeup artist has been there for 13 years and she doesn't have my shade or she doesn't have mine. So I was often helping people like shop for their own foundation so they can do their own shows. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I have everybody's in my kit, but I'm helping people here. And these people are on the jobs I want to be on. So that was, that was a major eye-opening experience. Definitely. That's right. Really more than a few. <laughs> that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, that's um, you know, also very sad to think about that when you are talent and you're going to a space. You know, I I have been around people who are actors and models, and you know, there are those particular things that you want somebody to use because you think that looks really yeah. good, but to not have a shade of foundation yeah. in your skin tone is something I agree with you on is just not really acceptable and should be changed yeah yeah Yeah. I've been on sets like that where the model's like you know she's dark skin and she's used to it she's like I brought my foundation because they never have it and I'm like oh well I have you but if you want to use yours but they're just so used to it because nobody ever has theirs and I'm like Mm -hmm. that's not fair like I've never had a white woman give me her foundation and say hey like they never have my shade wow it's really powerful what you're talking about. And I think this advocacy that you're talking about for um, more education and more um, inclusivity in the makeup industry is really, really important. And thank you for elaborating more on this. Was this something that you, I know that it's a different world in finance, but I know finance is like very male pale stale. And is this something that you found That's the be, perfect way to say it. <laughs> is this something you found to be um, something that has also come up in your finance world? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh my goodness. That's what helped me to make that shift to the makeup world because mm-hmm. I was encountering all kinds of like racism essentially. And I was being held back from um, promotions and raises. It was just crazy just to see. It. And I'm like, do you see this? Cause it was almost like, um, it was like astonishing for me. Cause it was just like, it almost made no sense. And it was like so blatant that I was like, okay, I, I, this is going to make me crazy. Um, just you, seeing it in that space and it just yeah sure oh sorry go ahead keep going <laughs> no I was just gonna say I just like I would look around like do y'all see this like I was yeah. just like shocked and sometimes I was the only woman of color on a couple of my teams I was the only woman of color I was the only person of color on my teams and it was like I was constantly like trying to like convince people of my standpoint and that I mattered and it was just ah uh, it was a struggle yeah Can you give any examples of like where you, something happened and you felt this way? Because in a previous episode, um, our, one of our guests, Trisha Tate, she was working on wall street and there was a list that came out every year of people who would be kind of promoted or, or put into this next step in the finance world. And she was very much thinking she would be on this list, but there was another woman who was advancing with less experience, who was not a woman of color, um, who was then put on this list. And Trisha, you know, didn't get that fulfilling moment of, 
yes, I did it. I, I, you know, made this, I, I have this next move in my career. And she had to go talk to her boss and really ask, well, what's the issue here? Did you have any moments like that, that were similar where they were kind of under the radar, but you just were like, this just doesn't make sense to me. Oh yeah. I was trying to narrow it down actually in my head while you were speaking, like how many can I bring up? So one in particular, um, after working at like this fortune 500 company, I'm doing asset management, I'm doing corporate investment bank. Um, I move over to like another investment bank. I get back into the retail space and you know, I'm doing well. It's like a sales position, like client service. It's great. Um, one of my peers who was also, um, training at the same time, we were kind of in the same position. He was fresh out of college. And at the time I'm working in like the Philadelphia, Delaware kind of area. Um, I went to an HBCU, I went to Delaware State University. Nice. Um, yeah, and outside of Delaware State University is the white school, University of Delaware. And if you know the history with HBCUs, they were, they're, they're here because we weren't allowed to go to these other schools. So sometimes in state, there is a very like distinct, like, oh, that's this type of school. Um, this, this school is on a different level because mm. that's the white school. Um, so, you know, I'm working with this guy, like he works at a different location, um, but we're in the same, you know, running for everything. And they end up making him my manager and he's like 22. He has no mm. banking experience. He's making all this money and I'm actually his salesperson now. So I'm actually making my goals to fit his pockets essentially, like to kind of like make him shine. And they, they made him my manager. Yeah. No experience. They were like making him climb up. Like he was like making vice president, like all this stuff. And people, there were people that were at the company for years and they were like, how is this happening? And it Mm -hmm. was just like, everybody looked like him. Did you have a moment where you spoke to someone about this? Like, did you do, did you take action around this at all? Because I, I've heard this from um, Nina, who's on the show. She had somebody who was an intern who became her boss later down the road. And her mindset was like, you never know who's going to be your boss. But, you know, it, it is really exhausting when time and time again, you see white counterparts, white male counterparts or white female counterparts being promoted above you. Um, did you take any action there? Yes, yeah, so I did try to find out like, I was like, oh, so what are, what are you guys exactly looking for when it comes to these promotions? Like I kind of like, cause I can't come out and say like, Hey, are you only promoting white people? But the company was very, very white. So when you look at the executive board and you look at all of the upper management, there was not one person of color. And this mm-hmm. is a pretty major company. Um, they're like, oh, well, you know, he has more sales experience or something like that. Like he had a higher amount of sales in this category. It was like one category that I didn't have, but I had all these other categories and that's what they tried to use and say like, oh, well, you know, he was good in like securities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, what else? Like he had no experience like leading a team or anything. Yeah. So yeah, I, they tried it, to it, find that one thing. It is so upsetting that this is, you're the third person that I've talked to about stories like this and you are a woman of color and all the two other people that I've talked to are also black women who have had these experiences. Um, what are some things that you think managers can do to diversify? I mean, I think there's obvious uh, answers here, but, um, to really recognize their own internal bias and diversify their management and promote women of color. Oh man, I think it's going to take a, it's going to be huge. I think if anything, they're going to have to sweep a lot of these people who have been at these companies for 20, 30 years and they're comfortable 
school and they just like to see people that look like them. And even though they talk about diversity and they talk about the push for diversity, they don't really mean it. They're just like, oh, this is the cool thing to say. Um, but I think it's going to take like a, a major adjustment for a lot of these companies to come in and clean up um, the upper management levels and senior management levels so that people of color are able to be in those spaces and they can actually advocate for people um, who are coming in an entry level, mid-career mid level so that they're able to kind of move up. Because that's, that's another thing that I've noticed is it's very hard for a manager when they do make um, like upper management or senior management and they're a person of color. It, it's almost looked down upon sometimes when they do try to like coach and bring in a, like a, a younger black person or somebody else. It's almost like they're like, oh, they're bringing their black friend you know, the, mm. like this unwritten kind of, so they have to make sure it's the right kind of black person. And it's like all these other po politics that goes into it. And it's just sad. It's really sad. 100%. I think you're also talking about allyship and how that's needed in the workspace from white allies um, to be able to yeah. say and understand that this is a problem. The fact that we're, we don't have oh, yeah. upper management uh, who are people of color uh, is a huge problem. And then we also need to recognize that we need to be allies in hiring more people of color and promoting them throughout the organizations. And I think yeah. um, what you're also saying is recognizing everyone's own internal bias that when people look like you yes. and you're surrounded by people look, that look like you, um, it's pretty easy to not even recognize that or not even uh, understand that that's a problem um, or not want to. Right. <laughs> and so I not think that was the other part of it. Right. I think that's um, a really important thing that a lot of people are facing right now. And um, that I think is changing hopefully slowly. I think we're seeing more women come into leadership positions, more women of color. Obviously, I think there could be a huge wave of that. Um, are there any um, women of color, um, any female leaders that you're seeing who are um, female leaders of color that you look to that you want um, other people to know more about? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, outside the makeup space, just in general? Either um, or, yeah. Oh, man. There there are a few CEOs that I've seen. Like, obviously, I follow um, – it used to be the CEO of um, Xerox. Like, I follow her a lot. I see a lot of what she's doing. Um, um, my gosh, I'm trying to think of, like, specific names. Um, oh, my gosh, I can't think of anybody's name right now. That's totally um, there's fine. There's a couple that I like, I kind of, I can't keep tabs on. Like when I see them on social media or I kind of like check out to see what they're doing. Um, I read black enterprise. So if I see them in there, I'm like, Oh my gosh, go girl. Like, and I yeah. go to their page and see what they're working on and kind of check out their website. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely necessary. And then, you know, I know that we're wrapping up on our time, but are, is there any advice that you have for people in the finance world um, or in the makeup industry, um, young women of color who are entering into this space, just like you did, um, is there any advice that you have for them? Definitely. I say just go for it. Work hard. Um, don't let anybody tell you no. Don't let anybody um, deter you from what you're working on. Even if you don't have a goal and you don't know, um, I'll share that when I was working in the finance space, I actually was working at night um, at a makeup counter too at one point just to get more um, experience. And some of those people were like, why are you even here? You have a full-time job. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to listen to these people. I don't know what I'm doing this for, but I know I need to just keep going. So just keep going. 
just keep doing it and don't listen to anybody and make sure that you're doing your research and that you're understanding the industry that you're trying to get into. Mm -hmm. Delene, I feel like you've given us so many beautiful words of wisdom and um, really an insight, inside look into what has been going on in your life and what you've encountered that is so similar to what other people have encountered. And also just the fact that you made this huge leap and you're continuing to follow your heart in this way. I think so many people can you know, really relate to that. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and your journey. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. Um, so they can find me at my website, www.dailymusic.com. And I think we'll have like a link for that. Like, yes, we'll we write definitely it out will. so they can spell my name. <laughs> my name is um, and then uh, my Instagram is the same at Daylene Music. Um, and then I do have a makeup artistry, like Facebook page. It's makeup by Delaine. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for sharing everything. And I can't wait for people to hear about your story and connect with you. Um, and for everyone listening, thank you so much for being here every single week. I'm just so grateful to have you here listening to all of these beautiful growing women. Um, and we will see you on the next episode.